I want to thank uh, Pastor Henry for uh, inviting me two times. It's a rare privilege to come to San Francisco Bible Church. And uh, Pastor Roger, please convey to Pastor Henry. Uh, Pastor Henry has wisdom beyond uh, my comprehension. He knew when to ask me when the babies came. <laughs> so, wow, that was uh, excellent timing. So my hat's off to Pastor Henry. Congratulations to him for the twins. That's great. And then uh, perhaps you were here in April uh, when I preached my first part, and I mentioned this verse. Um, wow, if you could remember that far back in April, Psalms. 119, 164, seven times a day do I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. And what a delight for the praise worship team to sing that praise song, I heard praise seven times. And we applied Psalms 119, 164, seven times a day do I praise you because of your righteous ordinance. And seven times means every time, every day, we're praising him constantly. All right, well, that was great. I, I want to, uh, just as an onset introduction, um, my name's Alvin Louie. I've been preaching now uh, in the Bay Area. I just can't believe it for uh, 47 years uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, there's three groups of people from three different churches here uh, that I may know that I uh, first came here in San Francisco in 1964 to 66, those two years, uh, to get my undergraduate degree. But then Pastor Ben, the original founder of this church, uh, called me from Chicago to be his assistant pastor back in 1964 to 66. So I came uh, uh, during that time, uh, finished up at San Francisco State, and I was here when uh, the Sunday school were just seven ladies, seven high school girls. And then by the time I left in 66, the church had grown to about 50 people. So I was here at the original onset of the birth of the church 52 years ago. Wow, that's astonishing. Uh, after uh, going to, uh, I was at Moody. Uh, I was an assistant pastor there at the Chinese Christian Union Church in Chicago, Chicago, Chinatown. Then I came here, I went to Dallas, and then I was called to Chinese Bible Church in Oakland, now the Bay Area Chinese Bible Church of Alameda. And I was there with this church for 10 years as the youth pastor in the 70s. You may be some people here. Then uh, a little bit later on, uh, I got called uh, to San Antonio. I was there for 10 years. And then I came back to the Bay Area in 1989 and to finish up my pastoral ministries with Chinese Independent Baptist Church of Oakland. So I was with them for 15 years. So 2, 10, 15, 27. And now for the past 11 years I've been in the Bay Area. And it's just been such a delight, such a challenge, such a privilege uh, to preach to Chinese churches in the Bay Area. This year alone, God's been gracious. I have 11 churches that I rotate uh, among and 51 out of the 52 Sundays, I'm committed to a local church. Wow, that's exciting. That's great to be in the Lord's ministry. So it's good to be here. It's good to see you. I had my feet planted in this church 52 years ago. And it's great, to God be glory, to see the fruit this morning. So Roger... And Pastor Henry, uh, you who are in the pastoral staff, you have an awesome responsibility. So awesome. This morning, if you have an outline, uh, please uh, take a look at it. Okay? It's kind of simple. Uh, Pastor Al keeps things simple. If you just want to fill this in, that's great. And then uh, I have an object lesson uh, at the conclusion of the message. And take a look. Here's the object lesson. 
I have a lacy here for somebody in the congregation. And this lacy uh, has money in it. Uh, the lacy will get you a good lunch. But I have an object lesson uh, on this lacy at the conclusion of the message to kind of tie it up. And then uh, I'm going to ask one person to come forward. If you know the answer is found in the notes, you come forward, and Pastor Al will give you this lacy because uh, there's an object lesson in it for you. All right? So take notes. Uh, you may receive a lacy this morning. <laughs> um, take a look at this topic on the greedy steward versus the generous steward. Which one are you this morning? I'm taking this from 1 Timothy chapter 6 as Paul's instruction to the younger minister, Timothy. And uh, also Timothy's instructing the church concerning these principles. Uh, I'm not a real estate agent, nor a financial person, an investor, but uh, I read enough to just get a few of the trending going on. Remember the housing market? Uh, the housing boom, year 2002-06. The housing bus from 2006 to 2011. And now back to the housing boom after five more years, it picked up where it stopped, 2012 to 2016. If you, this morning, are privileged to own a home in the Bay Area in the past 15 years, you're probably very house-rich because of your equity. But think about that. Does that make you more generous or more greedy in the housing market? What about the stock market? I'm not a stock market person. I'm not a finance person. But you see the swings of the highs and the lows in the stock market. And you experience something that uh, very few people have experienced is the Great Recession of 2006 to 11, where the stock or the housing market uh, just crashed and the stock market just kind of crashed. We call it the Great Recession. And wow, that made people very nervous in investing in the stock market. But the stock market has its highs and its lows. And whether you were at the rich time, the poor time, does that make you more generous or more greedy concerning the stock market? You have the bulls and the bears. They go up and down. It affects your mentality. I wanted to say something that uh, all of us, when we think, when we live in California, particularly here in San Francisco, uh, you handle, you're handling your finances, that you need a good financial advisor. And one of the good of financial advisor is really the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about money, stewardship, generosity, and greed. And I, I just want to say that looking at the Bible will uh, give us some principles and instructions on a greedy steward or a generous steward. Which one are you? I, I have a seven-part series in the life of Joseph, and I, I found in all the Bibles that one, one of the best examples of a young man, 17, and all the way to the end of his life, he was a good steward, a good manager. That was Joseph himself, Genesis 37 to chapter 50. And a good steward is a good manager of time, money, and things. So let's take a look at good stewardship, greedy stewardship, from 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 through 11, 17 to 19. There's two kinds of steward. First of all, take a look at the greedy steward. And in verse 9, it says in the New American Standard Bible, uh, those who want to get rich, want to. That's their ambition. And um, here's the current scene that goes on last year. It was the Powerball craze. Uh, 
And you have all kinds of people pouring money buying Powerball tickets. I don't know about you. Does a Christian have liberty to play the Powerball? I don't. I don't have a liberty. I think it's poor stewardship. But if you get involved in it, I believe it's kind of poor stewardship. It involves gambling. Uh, the new uh, term is, they call it gaming. Oh, wow, anything to get your money, they'll tweak. I'm known it as gambling. Today, you know it as gaming. But I don't play the Powerball. And what happens if you play it? Well, I don't step on people's toes. But, you know, the Bible is very pointed. And uh, we need to have our toes stepped on when we need to be convicted. But think about a lot of poor people uh, just pouring in money in the Powerball, hoping that they will get rich. And this is what... 1 Timothy 6, 9 is talking about those who want to get rich. And one winning in the Powerball. Uh, I can't do it in good conscience, and I don't want to do it. Because all those people who win these money, they ruin their lives. Complete ruin, and they lose everything within a matter of few years. Let me just point out something about the greedy steward. Three things about wanting to get rich. One, the greedy steward here, as uh, Paul's instructing Timothy, the greedy steward pursues the wrong direction in life. First Timothy 6, 9. Here you are, young people, a lot of young people here. And you're trying to figure out the direction in life. Sometimes people spend all of their lives and never figure it out. What's the right direction in life? Where should I point the arrows and pour my life into that direction? But the greedy steward, he pursues the wrong direction in life. Who's going to tell this person you're going the wrong direction? You can, the Bible can, but this person needs to be told. Verse 9, but those who want to get rich, it's their ambition It's their passion to make money. But notice what happens. They fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. It's to their 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 demise that they want to get rich and they fall into these many traps. Those who want to get rich, I've seen it happen in my lifetime. I was here at CIBC in the 90s. And what happened in that decade before the end of the century? The dot-com explosion. And uh, I've seen people get rich overnight, millionaires. Uh, I have a financial investor that I had to share the gospel with and a baptized disciple And he said he knows so many young people, dot-com people, became millionaires overnight. And that's where all these riches came. But then when the dot-com bust happened, they became decertified millionaires instantaneously, lost it all. Same thing with the housing boom and the housing bust. I don't know, maybe some of you are in real estate, you're a professional real estate agent. That's fine. You're making a lawful living. But what's the danger in the real estate market here? And it happened during this time, of the dot-com, and then, the, and then a little later on, the Great Recession. Now, I've known some Christians who are flipping houses in Las Vegas. That's fine. You can flip houses, make some money, make some profit. But if it's your ambition to be greedy and do it as fast as you can, make as much money as you can, then you ought to check your heart. I'm not a judge of people's motivation, but you ought to check your heart. So this Christian had bought three homes wanting to flip them, and boom, the market bust. And he got holding, holding the bag with these three homes. Then he couldn't rent out. 
and then he couldn't afford the mortgage, and then he went bankrupt, and then he lived with his adult children. Today, adult children live with their parents because of the high cost of housing here. But in this case, here's a parent living with their children because they lost everything. And that's the danger of getting into a flipping houses, which is lawful if you want to do that to make money, but you get caught in it and you can't support yourself. This is a matter of greed. Here at UC Berkeley, I heard about it, I read about it, and I was dismayed about it. At the Berkeley Business School, they had the graduation speaker come in May. Graduation speaker came because he was a wealthy businessman. Spoke at this highly prestigious Cal Berkeley Business School graduation. And he mentioned, he was a very successful stockbroker. He mentioned this in his speech. That greed is good. And what's more discouraging when he made that statement is the audience applauded him and gave approval to that statement. Greed is good. That goes contrary to 1 Timothy 6, 9. For that is biblical teaching, biblical morality and ethics. That greed is not good. But here at UC Berkeley, you're getting the modern media, you're getting all intelligent people, and they say greed is good, and they're applauding him. And who was the speaker? Ivan Boschke. What happened to him? He made all his wealth through insider's information. He cheated to make his wealth. And he was indicted and incarcerated. Greed is not good. And if you're a greedy steward this morning, you're going the wrong direction in life. In my San Antonio ministry for 10 years in the 80s, one of the young ladies, a career girl, Pastor Louie, could you visit my dad, share the gospel with him? You know, I think that's one of the most significant questions to ask your pastor. Could you visit my parents, share the gospel with them? Wow, you know, that means you have a real burden for your mom and dad's salvation. And I said, wow, I was so happy that young lady asked me. I said, sure, I counted it a privilege to go. And I went to visit her father. In San Antonio, in the house, he opened the door, let me in, and boom, he went right back to his chair watching TV, and he was watching the stock markets, and all the statistics and everything, and I said, oh, I'm a patient guy. Pastor Al's very patient. I waited, I waited, I waited, and then I had a little window. I shared the gospel with him, but he was not interested. He's more interested in making money out of the stock market than having his soul saved, his salvation. Well, it was disappointing when you can't talk to a father. It was disappointing when you can't lead somebody to the Lord because of money distractions. So we had a cordial, short meeting, and I left. But about a year later, daughter told me my dad has cancer. Could you visit him in the hospital? I count that as a privilege. So I went to the hospital, San Antonio. There I met the father again. And he said some interesting things to me. He says, uh, Pastor Louie, you know, we're all so interested in money. Now that's not important. And he says, my health is more important. He learned a lesson. Health is more important than greed and money. And then I look for a window to share the gospel with him. And I shared the gospel with him, and he was not interested. Oh, that kind of breaks my heart. And the daughter's 
wanting him to come to know the Lord. And then he said to me, I'm going to beat this cancer. I'm going to get my health back. And then I shared the gospel, and that was his opinion. I respected it, and I left. And about a year later, he died. He did not beat the cancer. Wow. What do you learn from that? Greed is not good. And then your health does not last forever. But Christ does. Greed is loving money more than God. And you know what happens when you're greedy? You're always tempted and trapped by money. In verse 9b it says, when you have a love for money, you fall into temptation because you're always looking for schemes and things to get rich, more rich. Fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Being greedy for money just leads you down to the wrong path in life. Uh, I like to read stories in history. One of the stories that I read is on the gold rush here in San Francisco. In 1848, gold was discovered up near Sacramento. In 1849, everybody came all around the world to this city uh, during the gold rush. 1849, that's why the 49ers are called the 49ers because of that year of the whole world coming to San Francisco, California, and California in order to strike it rich. Well, here's a story of uh, all the fraud and greed that's going around. People are trying to take advantage of you. One banker here in San Francisco uh, was offered to buy some real estate there in in Arizona. And uh, the person selling uh, real estate in Arizona says, there's so much gold out in the desert. It's out in the open, free for the picking. Uh, That sounds like a scam and scheme, does it not? Well, this banker is not dumb. So uh, he just had a a fellow banker in Arizona check it out. And the other banker uh, went to this location and looked at, wow, he saw the gold all sprinkled out in the desert. So the banker said in Arizona to the San Francisco banker, it's there. I've seen it. The banker in San Francisco bought it. He bought the land in Arizona uh, depending on the testimony of another banker. And then what happens? It was fool's gold. He was scammed. He spent all that money, wanted to buy that gold in Arizona. And you know, part of that is greed. You want more. But the bad thing that happened, and the Bible says this, you fall into temptation, a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Later, the banker in San Francisco committed suicide. Wow. Oh, being greedy. Gambling can be your downfall. Making all these investments can be your downfall. And in life, in my Oakland ministry, at a high school family, attending our church. And then it was said of their parents who had a restaurant, gambled it away. And the casinos took it over. Did not, the Bible said, fall into temptation and a sneer and many foolish and harmful desire which plunged men into ruin and destruction. He lost it all because he gambled it away. And then I thought, well, that's 30 years ago. It doesn't happen again. Then Pastor Phil at CIBC, he's the, lead, he's the English pastor there. He kind of took my place. And Pastor Phil said, you know what happened to this restaurant? Al? So what happened? He lost it through gambling. And there it is again, the temptation, trapped by money and falling through temptation. Here the greedy steward, 
the greedy studer here, love of money, causes him to have all sorts of problems in life. He opens up a can of worms in his life by just being greedy because you want more and you're not satisfied and being content with what you have. Look at verse 10. The greedy steward, love of money, causes him all sorts of problems in life. It says, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, opens up a can of worms. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Pierced themselves with many griefs. And they have wandered from the faith, meaning Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, you can get involved in greed and not even know it. When I was a youth pastor at the Chinese Bible Church in Oakland, I had a young high schooler, smart, intelligent, good-looking. He had it all. And he got involved in the stock market as a high schooler. Wow, very businesslike, very industrious. Nothing wrong with that. He invested in stocks. Nothing wrong with that. And he made it pretty good. And nothing wrong with that. Until he wanted more. And he, uh, one person came to me and says, uh, Pastor Al, uh, so-and-so wants to borrow money from me. I said, for what? Invest in the stock market. I said, no, don't do it. You want to end a good friendship, don't give it to him. And so that person was, uh, by that, I knew that he had a greedy heart. And then he, he went into a business. And then in the business, he started defrauding people. He's going the wrong direction, and he's a Christian, and he's one of my young people, and I'm his youth pastor. He's going the wrong direction. Can't put the brakes on him. So he's grown up. He's married. He started defrauding people, and they found that out. And what a sad story. He was incarcerated, put in jail. Then he divorced his wife. Going the wrong direction in life. May I share with you, and this is a heart check. Check your heart to see where your passion and where your desire is this morning. There's four four kind of lovers in the Bible. And uh, you'll find out you're one of uh, either one of them or a multiple of them. What kind of lover are you this morning? What's your passion? your love in life. And that's what's going to take you in your direction. Well, here are the four lovers in the Bible. You have it in your outlines, do you not? In 2 Timothy 3, 2 to 4, lovers of self. (laughs) And the Bible says in the end times, uh, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, People be lovers of themselves, and I call this the egotist. Uh, they, they just admire themselves. And, you know, uh, it's so right on today that one of the top number one songs today is Justin Bieber. <laughs> loving self. <laughs> loving self. I said, how in the world could people sing that? How could they buy into that? Why is it number one? Because it's number one in people's hearts. I can't believe that. Lovers of self. It's in the music, it's in the media, it's in people's lifestyle. Self-centered people. Uh, I love to listen to Pandora, relax, and and then I I, I looked at Pandora. uh, What's playing? Uh, A pianist number. And what's the piano? Uh, Loving self. I can't believe it. A piano number named that. The number top song This is what we're fighting in America. Selfishness, egotism, lovers of self, and it's even in the church. Two, what's another kind of a lover? Lovers of money. I call this the materialist. Why money? Buy things. You know, you look at the internet, uh, people doing uh, smart things, smart people doing stupid things, 
and how when we get rich, they, they buy so many material things. Materialists. Hey, I have a, a half a dozen shoes. Why do I need 20 pairs of shoes? I'm not satisfied. I'm greedy. I want more. We have way too much. And we have to be careful of being lovers of money because money is the instrument of buying things. Three, this is our society today. The third lover is lovers of pleasure. I call this the existentialist. They're pleasing self, pleasure center. center. And what, what are the two pleasures of young people, adults, anyone today in America is drug and sex so powerful and when you get into that temptation of drugs and sex is you're going to wander away from the face and pierce yourself with many agrees and who are the three key people so powerful so popular in our culture and society that these things doomed them that's michael jackson whitney houston and recently prince you want that power? You want that popularity? And you want lovers of pleasure? They'll kill you. But here's the fourth. And this is the right way to go. This is where our hearts should be. Our passion in life should be. And that's lovers of God. I have an AA ministry assistant at the CIBC. We worked together many years. She had her firstborn son. And I said, what do you name your son? Theophilus. Oh, man. For real? Theophilus. It's a compound word. It's a Greek word. Theos, God. And... Phileo, love. Theophilus means lovers of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if this is your passion this morning, you are right on. Lovers of God. God-centered in your life. What's your directions? Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of Pleasures or lovers of God, Theophilus. May I just say this about money? Money is really neutral. It's neither good or bad. Uh, It is the love of money that makes it evil. And God does not like the competition between you loving money and you not loving him. That's a conflict of interest. And therefore, you cannot serve God and money at the same time. Conflict of interest. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a lot to say about money. It's just incredible. He speaks about parables of money, stories about money, and on the Sermon on the Mount about money. Why? Because he knows what touches people's lives. And money does. Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, God and riches. You can't have this conflict of interest. And who do I remember when when Jesus spoke these words? I remember that high school young man. Conflict of interest. He wanted to make money so bad, and it ruined his life. Look at young Timothy. You're young people. And Paul says here, young Timothy was charged with, to pursue the right direction in life. Do you know what, what the right direction in life is? It's so simple, but it's so impossible to apply. Anything we applied Apply in the word of God has to be by the grace of God and the spirit of God. We can't do it mechanically. We need God's grace, God's spirit to change us. And here's, I call this the mighty six. 
Here's the mighty sixth. Pursue this the rest of your life. Paul says this. We're to flee something. Flee what? Flee from these things. The love of money. You man of God. But pursue. What are we to pursue in life? I call these the six things we are to pursue. Righteousness. Godliness. Faith. Love. Perseverance. And gentleness. Wow. That's the right course to head for. The mighty six. You know, those who want to get rich are usually young people getting started in their careers. You want to make it big in your 20s and your 30s and uh, make your millions and then by 50 retire. Uh, who, who, who dictates that kind of a schedule and philosophy? Uh, God wants us to serve him the rest of our lives. And let me just say this in preference. God is not against making money. We all have to make a living, do we not? But wanting money, our desires and our longing. God is not against being rich because there's a lot of rich people in the Bible like Abraham and and Job and Jacob. God is not against being rich, but being consumed to be rich. There's a difference. God is not against capitalism, but the corruptions of capitalism, such as Ivan Bolsky's is saying greed is good. God is not a, God is against arrogance and corruption of those that esteem greed and not value generosity. May I just share quickly with you two kinds of businessmen. I call it the cocky businessman and the Christian businessman. And you don't like cocky people. We don't like arrogant people. We don't like boisterous people. And there's a lot around. In James chapter 4, 13, 17, it says this. Come now, you who say, and this is the cocky businessman. He's saying, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, which is okay. Spend a year there, that's okay. And engage in business, that's okay. And make a profit, that's not okay. How does he know he's going to make money? You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just the vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We have no guarantee we'll live beyond 24 hours. We have no guarantee we're going to set up a business and uh, make a profit. And this cocky businessman was just so full of himself. We just don't like people that are that way. Now, here's a Christian businessman. You could do the same thing with a different attitude. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. That's saying a lot because you're getting your direction from the Lord. If the Lord will, we will live and also do this and that. Bet as it is. Here's a cocky businessman. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him is sin. So guard yourself against greediness. How? By godliness, pursuing God. Oh, I need to move on and close. And I'd like to close with here the generous steward. I like to talk about generosity, and, and many of you are generous people, and people know it, but what makes a generous steward? In 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, it says uh, here, a, a, a good steward fixes his hope on God and not money. So it's reference point. What's your reference point in life? Is it on God or money? Jesus pointed that out in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. And here Timothy was to instruct the church as Paul instructed Timothy. Instruct those who are rich, and we're, we're all rich if we live here in America, the richest country in the nation. You have a house, a car, and all that. Uh, but instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainties of riches. But on God, who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. Did you get that? We are to fix our hope on God. 
We are not to be conceited with the things we have. We are to be generous, big-hearted in our giving. And we are not to fix our hope on our bank accounts or fix their hope on the uncertainties of riches, stock market, the housing market. You know, everything could, could crash. Uh, 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 World War III could come and the A-bomb could hit the Bay Area and everything we have will be down to rubble. It could go that quickly. Don't fix your hope on your bank account. Put your hope on the Lord. And here's what I like about 17, uh, verse 17. But to have your fixed uh, your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. A lot of Christians forget that verse because uh, people think, oh, Christians are so drabby. They're never happy. They don't know how to have fun. But look at this verse. It's the God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So I wrote this. God is not a killjoy, but an enjoy in life. Well, a good steward here is also generous in serving and giving. How do you spend your time? In verse 18, instruct those to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We ought to be big-hearted not big-headed. We ought to be generous and not stingy. Uh, I was at a church in, in, in the Bay Area, and, and one couple uh, gave a large amount. I've all shared that a pastor should not know what his members give, so that's my personal preference. So uh, people give. I don't want to know what they give because I don't want that to prejudice me or bias me towards my relationship to them. Some pastors beg to differ, but wow, you need strong control. Well, one couple gave over two-thirds of a million dollars as a church gift. And, uh, and the council member, the chairman and council member got so excited and told me, I said, no, 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 don't tell me. He told me the name. (laughs) Oh, no, it was too late. And I bear the tremendous pressure of knowing who that couple was and bear the uh, pressure and responsibility of keeping it confidential. But they gave that gift because they were big-hearted. And then another gift, uh, probably uh, the gift that, impacted me the most in my personal life. I did not ask for it, but it was just so big-hearted of this person that I had a young career man. I was asked to share the gospel. I did. He received the Lord, and he asked me to disciple him. I spent one whole year discipling this young man. I knew very little about him. And then at the end of the year, he asked me to baptize him. I baptized him. Then at the uh, End of that year, he took me uh, on a ride, and we went to downtown Oakland, and we went down to this fitness center, and he signed me up. Do I look that bad? (laughs) He signed me up. He said, Pastor Al, I I have a gift membership for you at Club One. Wow, that's 90 bucks a month a pop. And he's investing in me all this money. I said, oh, thank you for your generosity. And you know what happens? I found out he was a multimillionaire. He was an investment company. One of his boss was the San Francisco Giants owner. I said, I did not know this young man had so much wealth. He gave me this membership. And for 16 years now, I've been going to the gym. He impacted my life. But for 10 years, he gifted me the membership. And every year I said, no, no. I got so guilty after the 10th year. I said, no. And he stopped. But you know, that's big-hearted, not big-headed. And lastly, a good steward plans ahead. 
Everybody lives for the now. Everybody lives for the present moment. Everyone lives for self-gratification. Everyone says now counts, the future doesn't. But a good steward plans ahead. Look at verse 19. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Don't you think about the future? So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You know what happens? How do you plan for the future? How do you invest in the future? Here's what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. You know, the most powerful people on earth try to store up their treasures in, on earth. Who were the most powerful people that tried to do that? The pharaohs. I'm reading National Geographic that the pharaohs spend half of their reign planning on their death and their life beyond. They spend half of their lives for their burial. So they build these pyramids. They have these interlocking schemes where their treasures will not be found or it will not be pilfered. And all these elaborate schemes, they try to make it foolproof so that they could store up their treasures in, uh, on earth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not going to work. Jesus said that. And what happened over time and period, the thieves came in and pilfered the wealth of the great pharaohs. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Jesus says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. How do you do that? How do you advance the funds to the bank of heaven? How do you do that? I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You do everything done for the glory of God is going to last for here to eternity. You just store up treasures in heaven. Where's your heart this morning? Bottom line, heart check. Where's your heart this morning? Is it on things or is it upon the Lord? Mark 12, 30, 31 says this, And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second one is like this. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. There are no other commandment greater than these, the commandment of love. Our direction in life, our pursuit in life, our generosity in life is going to point to lovers of God. Do you love God with all your heart and soul? Are you a Theophilus today, lovers of God? Man, if that's your passion, that's your goal, that's your love, you're going in the right direction. I like to close now with the lacy. <laughs> uh, I have this as an object lesson. I need one person to help me, but here's the question. If you have the answer, come on up. I'm going to give this to you. But you've got to be bold. Look, Pastor Al's been standing up here for 30 minutes. It's your turn. Here we go. Here's the question. If you know the answer, just come right up. The first one will get the lacy. Ready? Nod your heads, please. <laughs> okay. Who are the four lovers in the Bible? That's it. Don't look at your notes. I want you to come up. Tell me the four lovers of the Bible. Anyone? Can't believe, no, 200 people here. Nobody's coming. I want to give this away. Who's a brave soul? Who are the four lovers of the Bible? Oh, uh, you know, but you won't come. Oh, come on up. No, you have to come up here and join me. That's the, that's the pressure. Yeah, yeah just tell me your name, too, and uh, we'll be My good. Rama. Rama? Okay, Rama, come on, come on up here. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, congratulations, you're such a brave soul. Rama, could you tell me the four lovers of the Bible? Of the world or Bible? Pardon? Love, love of self. One. Love of money. Two. Love of money. No, I'm getting it. The last one is love of God. Love of God. Three. One more. Everybody's helping you out there, but they can't. 
Pleasure. Pleasure. She got it. <laughs> okay, Rayma, I'm going to give this to you. Uh, even if you didn't get all the answers, I would have given it to you for your boldness. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I have an object lesson I like to close this message with. And this uh, little envelope summarizes the whole message. Number one, Rayma, what color is this envelope? I hope you're not colorblind. Red. The symbol of red in this lacy is this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, and blood is red, he died for our sins and paid for it. So this envelope, the red color, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Died on the cross, sacrificed on the cross for our sins. Number two, Rama, what do you think's in this envelope? As you promise, it's money. Money. <laughs> Rayma, you put so much pressure on me. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Yes, there's money in it. And money in our society buys you goods and services. It has a purchasing power. But the blood of Jesus Christ has purchasing power. It's called redemption. Jesus Christ paid for our sins. This envelope's red, the blood of Christ. There's money in there, purchasing power, redemption. Christ redeemed us from our sins. Lastly, Raymond, you're doing excellent. Third one is uh, when I give this to you, what does that make me? If I give this to you. Uh, you're generous. Generous. Uh, <laughs> uh, I hope that's true. But the third part is God gave us the gift. That's and he is the most generous one. God is the giver of the gift. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave. There's no greater generosity than God sending his son to us. And he's the giver of the gift. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. We are the beneficiaries of his eternal gift through his son. And that's the story of this envelope.